welcome everybody to what I'm calling a side order of media sandwich. This is kind of like that that item on the menu at your favorite diner where you can get like half a sandwich, a cup of soup, and maybe a little side salad. I love it when they do that. Uh, with me today, I have a guest who, when I went crazy in high school and I said, you know what, I want to write and direct films and plays, he was the star of both of them. In my head, like I was... A teenager, you know, trying to emulate my heroes. I was trying to be like a Kevin Smith. My guest today was kind of my Ben Affleck. Maybe my Jason Lee would be closer to the truth. He's looking at me like maybe he's going to reach across the table at me either way. <laughs> um, anyway, after that, we went to university together. He became notorious for growing a cult following of Avatar The Last Airbender fans just by simply loaning out his DVD box sets. This was pre-streaming video, kids. Uh, a good show had to be passed around like a totem that way, and this man was carrying the water. And the box sets landed in my apartment just as I was taking a Tai Chi class, so it was just perfect timing, and I fell in love with the show. And it's, you know, it's something that we check in on each other every once in a while, too. Um, but these days, you can typically check out his prodigious and fantastic cosplay creations at events like, uh, uh, you've been to Rose City Comic Con, uh, Dragon Con? Uh, Kamori Con. Kamori Con. And then uh, uh, Nakama Con? I'm saying that wrong. That No, you are. You actually said oh, that I one said, right. I said that one right. Nakama Con. All right. Uh, yeah, and you can see all of his cosplay stuff either at those events, if you can find him, or on Facebook.com slash RTJ Cosplay. Uh, my dear, dear friend Gus, everybody, uh, how you doing today, sir? You flatter me, my friends. I'm lucky if I am Casey Affleck. <laughs> ooh, ooh, okay. I'll, I'll do respect. <laughs> well, uh, with that in mind, bearing that in mind, uh, yeah, we're, we're just hanging out. We actually, uh, this is the funny thing, uh, kids, we're in... We're in the library. We we rented a study room in the library. I've been rewatching Community, oddly enough, and the whole idea of, oh, we booked a room in the library to study in, it seems so romanticized on that show. And it's actually a fairly simple affair. You just, you know, they didn't even you don't even need a library card. You just need an email address. So uh, I said, hey, we're in the library. Let's take advantage of this and let's start perusing all of the stuff around here. And uh, what we're gonna do, uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna do a cook-off. Basically, I call this program Media Sandwich, and I wanted to get a bit literal with it. So Gus and I scoured the library before getting into our room for books, movies, uh, games, and anything we could find in the bigger library. Like it's the biggest library in our county. And uh, we put together kind of a recommend list for each other, and we're going to stack them up on the table like an actual sandwich for each other to try, serve it to the other guy, kind of like a recommendation scavenger hunt. So, fair, uh, so I just want to say fair warning. I probably have the have a matching like palette of our president when our president was asked what is you know what foods america was most known for he said hot dog spaghetti and ice cream <laughs> which is like the palette of a four-year-old which is about the exact same palette i have when it comes to both food 
And also my also my book selections. So just fair warning to all of you. Not at all, man. Not at all. That's the stuff that we talk about on this show constantly. That's the it's the the you know the stuff of the masses. It's what people like, and people like it for a reason. The same thing with spaghetti and pizza and ice cream, like you know, or hot dogs and stuff. That's the stuff my kids like. That's the stuff I end up eating, media wise too. So not to worry at all, man. Okay. Um, well, we can try to stack I'll them be, up on I'll the table. I'll be careful. Don't worry. Because <laughs> yeah, we got the worry, mic on the table, don't too. Don't worry, table senpai will be gentle. <laughs> oh, whoop. We're dropping stuff already. I was adventurous enough to try to pick a game for you, knowing that you've probably played it already. And that's the smallest thing I've got on here, so I might just... Okay, so I got two stacks. I got the I got the DVD appetizer, and then I actually <laughs> have the main course, which is actual. Oh, jeez. So you did get me the soup and sandwich combo. <laughs> yes. So, um... Just, just to let everybody know, because this is an audio medium, I realize, and it doesn't lend well to what we're doing, but... Gus grabbed so many things like, that it, I started to feel stupid. It did not take long for me to, like, just rummage through, like, all the stuff that I've read over the last four years. Because Kyle and I are, like, friends. We can talk for hours. And we have talked for hours just on trips back back and forth from Monmouth to Hillsborough on so many occasions. Oh, yeah. Driving, driving home to our hometown from university was always a great time for us yeah. to just... Yeah. Just spew about games and, yeah. and books and movies. Yeah. Like, like over the years, like, it, it's been tough for us to connect, you know, just because Kyle's busy being a dad and being awesome, and I'm busy cosplaying and being awesome. a different... Being thing. awesome. Thank you. My, so, my God, I wish I could do cosplay the way you do, sir. It's, it's terrific. Dude, you, me, Casey Ekman, Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon from Supergiants, <laughs> Hades... Oh, that it would be so killer. I love that game so much, too. I think you'd make an amazing Zeus. I'm Zeus? just saying. It. You're <laughs> Zeus. If we can get Casey to be Hades, he'd be He great. would be the Hades. And I'm Poseidon. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see it, actually. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. So we'll, <laughs> Maybe. We'll, we'll try to set that up. I know he's up in Washington. Maybe we could yeah. go visit him for Emerald City Con or something. I would love that. Um but anyway, so should I go first? Yeah, let's, All right, well, let's you, do the appetizer. The appetizer. DVDs. So I'm looking at a stack of DVDs here, folks. So we will, let's go through them one at a time. One at a time. So, so what do we got? So the first one is the first 13 episodes of Hunter, Hunter x Hunter, which is just called Hunter Hunter. So something that everybody should know, uh, if you listen to the show, you know, I don't know a damn thing about anime. Oh, oh man, I missed the top thing that I wrote as a note uh, for this conversation, very beginning, uh, a housekeeping thing. Gus let me know on the phone recently uh, that I, I spent a part of an episode way back a couple months ago pronouncing a name wrong from One Punch Man, I think it was. Correct. So help me out here. What, what, what was okay, it? I believe you called the main antagonist of season two Garu. And okay, I probably did, yeah. And it's Garu. Garu, okay. Had no idea... Because this is me with anime. I'm a blank slate. I most most anime in general have the emphasis on the first vowel in the syllable. Don't quote me on that, but throughout my experience, it it's usually the way they pronounce it. The emphasis on the first vowel. So yeah, okay. Garu. Great. I'm I'm so glad that you that you're here to tell me these things. So anyway, Hunter 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 Hunter. So this is the story of um 
of a young man named Gon who wants to be a hunter. And basically, hunters are in this world are people who, you know, they they travel the world, hunt down mysteries and exotic creatures. And his father became a famous hunter and kind of ran off on him. And he's has his mission to kind of hunt his father. So it's a hunter okay. hunting the hunter, I guess. And so the whole first season is about taking the hunter exam and the and the three and basically the motley crew of like these these three other misfits that he kind of gets to be his friends who all want to be hunters for their own reason. So you got um, Kilua, who's from like a long line of assassins and is kind of trying to find his own identity in becoming a hunter. You have um, Karapika, who is from this clan of like red-eyed people who were hunted down by these people called the Phantom Troop. We'll find out a lot about them in coming in future arcs, and he's trying to avenge his people who've been who've been hunted by them. And then you have Leorio. Leorio Paladinite, or Paradinite. It's weird because L and R can be, are kind of like translated at the same time in Japanese. So I've heard some people translate his last name Paradinite. And then there's some people who call him Paladinite, which have very different meanings, but could both work for him in different ways. It's interesting. Leorio's a fun character. I've cosplayed as him. He's the hunter who comes in and says, oh, I just want, I just am doing it for the money. And so There's that's always one. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's got a soft spot for the ladies. He, you know, wears his emotions on his sleeve. He's, you know, very reactionary. So, of course, when watching the series with my roommate, Sal is like, Gus, that's you. <laughs> and, and so that's the one. Is he the one you cosplayed? He is. Okay. Um, All right. Well, let, let me see that. So uh, this one, is this one uh, kid friendly or is this an after hours? It's... You know, it's weird. You'll watch the first season, you'll think it's perfectly fine for kids. Things do pick up and get a bit intense by the fourth season or so. Okay. Um, so it's like, I want to say your kids will be fine with it, at least for that amount of the show. Well, keep but... in mind, I'm the world's okayest dad, and I let my kids watch things they probably shouldn't. I want to <laughs> say they'll be okay. I want to yeah. say they'll be okay. All right, well, I'm going to give that a try with the boy, because he, he needs to get into some anime, he okay. told me. Well, then I definitely want to recommend this for your boy. So this is the first season of My Hero Academia. Now, of course I've heard of this one. Okay, so I'm the, the most apt comparison I can make to this is it's X-Men, it's x-men in anime form okay except it's a world where 80 percent of the population has mutant powers or in this what they call it quirks okay so the main the main protagonist is someone who is one of the 20 percent not born with a quirk so he's he's weird for not having powers i like that Um, he does inherit you know the will of of his hero all might um and kind of has to learn how to take, you know, tap into this power while he's being trained at UA, mm-hmm. um, which is the academy where they train these heroes. So that's basically what the the first season is about. It's like you, this kid named Izuku Midoriya, who's like a super fan of like superheroes, and like you know he chronicles all of them in like his little um, notebook, and you know he he wants nothing more than to be a hero and save people with a smile on his face, and he is he makes an impression on on his hero All Might and he decides to take him up on his wing and help him become a hero even though he wasn't born with a quirk. So That sounds that sounds right and, up both my alley and my son's alley actually. Okay. And that, then, that's an easy one. Yeah. And so with it I also have the first featuring length film called My Hero Academia Two Heroes. 
in this story, like, Deku and All Might go to this island where they basically build, like, hero tech and equipment. Okay. And the building where they're having an excursion gets taken over by a bad guy who basically holds a bunch of people hostage. Meanwhile, the kids who didn't make it to the party are stuck on the outskirts of the building. So, you got a building, you got a bad guy with hostages, and you got good guys on the outskirts of the building. Sounds great. My Hero Academia, two heroes is die hard okay i'm sold man that's oh you know how to sell me on these man that's that sounds awesome okay all right i'm yeah i'm i'm in on my hero academia i'm gonna give that a definite shot okay so i got some not anime stuff i got the um the live action goosebumps film that came out a couple years ago with jack black haven't right. done if you've seen that one i thought it was a fun use of the of the franchise uh you know i've been meaning to watch that one and i haven't yet it was funny i uh i listened to the blank check podcast and uh one of the guys on that is uh, uh griffin newman you might know him as uh he plays he he plays the lead in the amazon version of the tick from a couple years ago. Okay. Uh, but he was in a movie with um, uh, Tim Simons, guy from uh, HBO's Veep, who is in that. I think he has a bit part in this as a cop. And they were joking around about it. He's like, you get to say the titular line. You get to say Goosebumps in the Goosebumps movie. And I was just listening to that yesterday. Yeah. So this one has been on my brain, actually. Yeah. So that's... It's a fun family film. I mean, we just missed Halloween, but it's um, it's it's still a I it's a fun use of the franchise for sure. Absolutely. And then I I found this other classic while just rummaging things. Muppet Tre Muppet Treasure Island. It's an underrated one, Treasure Island. I know everybody loves Muppet Christmas Carol, and and rightly so. That one's a lot of fun. This one was mine actually. This is the one that got me into the Muppets when I was a kid. Um, not just because Tim Curry is amazing in it, but. Yeah. I, I think I said a couple of years ago on social media, I, I tried my best to make a meme of the difference between Michael Caine in Christmas Carol and, uh, and Tim Curry in Treasure Island. Uh, Michael Caine is playing it totally straight, like all of the Muppets are real people. And Tim Curry is trying to play it like he's a Muppet. Oh, God. And I think that's a beautiful difference, different approach to the same thing, which is how to be the one human in a Muppet movie. Right. But I, I like I like that one a lot, actually. That's one of my favorites. Honestly, my favorite my favorite meme from a couple years was like you pick a movie, you you keep one human actor, and the rest of the characters are Muppets. Oh, well, we we got to do that now. Okay. Have you got one in the tank? Deadpool two. Um, you keep Josh Brolin. <laughs> Oh. Cable. Everyone else is a Muppet. I mean, yeah, I can see it. I can totally see it. Especially Deadpool would be a great Muppet character. I mean, Avengers Infinity War keep Josh Brolin again in everyone. That also works. <laughs> so okay, You just want to see Josh Brolin next to some Muppets, don't you? I, I just... <laughs> What's funny is his character in Infinity War would be the, the one who's colored correctly to be a Muppet. <laughs> Uh, geez, let me think of one really fast here. Um, oh, I got it. Of course I got it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen The Long Goodbye. Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye is a detective movie from the 70s. It's based on an old detective book. Uh, I'm going to take your word for it. Yeah, but it's uh, Elliot Gould. Uh, do you know Elliot Gould? I probably do. 
lot of people remember him as uh, he was like Monica and Ross's dad on Friends. Okay. And he's also the oldest, one of the older okay, I guys. Okay, you're talking about now. Yeah, from the Ocean's Eleven movies. Okay, he's also okay. in those. Uh, he plays this really like hard scrabble private eye in that movie. He's literally smoking a cigarette through the entire movie, yeah. and everybody around him is just like sycophantic, rich L.A. people, and he looks so dumpy and washed out next to them. That'd be a great movie where he's the one person and everybody else is a Muppet. That'd be tremendous. Uh, Yeah, I'm posting that one on Twitter the second we're done with this. Uh, What else you got for me? Okay, so I got a Miyazaki film, Ponyo. Have you seen this one? You know... Miyazaki is one of my blind spots that I've been trying to fill. I've I watched a few handful of their films when they were doing like the like the Studio Ghibli Film Festival back in my theater. Yes, yes. When I worked in a movie theater. Yeah, Gus Um, Gus. For those of you who don't know him, he worked at uh, the Regal Theater here here in our hometown, uh, which is my first theater when I was a kid, and now it's my family's theater. We go back to Evergreen all the time now. Um, but yeah, Evergreen, they did this, uh, they might've done it this year Studio too. Ghibli Film Festival. Yeah, they, they tried just to went do it through every, every one of them. season where, yeah, every, every day they hit for a week, they had like a different like Studio Ghibli film. Um, with Ponyo, like discounted tickets for the kids, Ponyo right? was my gateway Studio Ghibli film back in the day when I was first trying to get into them. Like sure. I, oh, okay. So I did also watch Princess Mononoke. So that one and Ponyo were my first two ones. Princess Mononoke is a bit heavy, especially for maybe for kids. Yeah, um, it is. You're an okay dad, so you might be into that one too. <laughs> but Ponyo, Ponyo is such a cute and fun film. It's like it is. Yeah, I I've seen a bit of Ponyo. I yeah. haven't seen all of it. I think somebody might have thrown it on in a classroom at yeah. one point. It's um, it's just the story of this kid who kind of like meets this fish who wants to who finds its way onto the surface because she runs away from home and her oppressive father. It's Okay, so it's basically little anime Little Mermaid. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, and Tina Fey plays the mother of, of the kid and she has, like, these scenes where she is, like, the most crazy, irresponsible driver ever. <laughs> <laughs> it is... I yeah I gotta get into more of those I gotta okay. get into I th- the one that fascinated me I was just combing through uh, HBO Max has a tab just for just for these movies and Porco Rosso is the one that I really want to watch okay because it looks like my kind of thing fair um, enough but yeah no Ponyo great great okay. choice final final DVD is the the first season um tech, which covers the first two parts of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Okay. This one I do recommend just for you. Okay. It's it may it may be a bit much um, for the young ones. I but if you're an okay dad, maybe they'd be okay with it. It's it's JoJo. It's bizarre. So I like I said, take it at your own discretion. Okay. Um. So yeah. So the JoJo line um, kind of takes place in like um. When, when does it start? It's uh, the Victorian era of London is when oh. the story of Jojo takes place. And um, that that's when the first Jojo, Jonathan Joestar, J-O-J-O, that's, okay. where he, that's where his rivalry with the main villain, Dio Brando, begins. And um, they're... <sighs> They have this battle, and then it continues. The battle continues into another generation where we meet 
his grandson, Joseph Joestar, in 1930s America. And that's where the second part takes place. It was with his grandson, Joseph. This does sound up my alley, actually. And if you can get through those two parts, things get crazier in part three, where you meet Joseph's grandson, whose name is Jutaro Kujo from Japan. Wow, okay. Yeah, because his daughter migrated to Japan and met someone there, so... Oh, that's cool. The Joestar line goes from London to America to Japan, um... It's it's kind of a world traveling adventure of these you know of this family line and they're fighting with this vampire and vampire. Okay, so, so the feud continues through each generation and whatnot. More or less, yes. That's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. No, I yeah. I really dig that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. All right. So yeah, those yeah, are my these, those are my DVD recommendations for you. Those are some great picks, man. Thank you. These are. Yeah, I gotta give some of these a shot. I, uh, <laughs> I, both of us busted here to to the library, and I'm looking at my backpack like maybe I can sacrifice definitely the gigantic tank laptop that we're recording on, <laughs> so that I can have some room for stuff. But this, yeah, no, this this stack sounds great. Um, do you, should we break it up and do my my stack for you? Because I got a little Probably, stack of everything. Yeah, we, we should we should do that. Okay, and then we'll okay. we'll go back to the other stack that you got because you got a bunch of stuff. Okay, yeah, that was my appetizers. <laughs> okay, um, so the first thing I grabbed, well, not the first thing I grabbed for you, but I did grab a game that I'm not sure if you've played or not. Dead Cells. I've heard of this game. It's always it's kind of always been like in the back of my radar. Um, yeah, it's it's a roguelike. It's kind of got it's a okay. little bit got Hades vibes to it in terms of gameplay, but it's uh, kind of it's got a really cool art style, and it's it's uh, kind of about like uh, cloning and like it's really hard to explain. <laughs> right. And I didn't finish it because I don't finish any game anymore, unfortunately. But. I think you you might dig this one just if if anything for the art style and the uh, the music I remember being really good so just just a recommend there for you yeah, I, I've heard I've heard great things about it, and I'm like, well, let me fire that up. I think it was on Game Pass for a bit, so I tried it, and I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, for a for a graphic novel for you. I did, first thing that I picked out was the Usagi Yojimbo Volume 1. I'm not sure if you've ever read any of this. Like, so I am aware of Usagi Yojimbo because because of my, because I have read a, a handful of Ninja Turtle comics. So I oh, know yeah. who this character is, but I, I have not actually delved into, like, his actual. Yeah, this, this is like the original story of him. So it's uh, the very st- kind of straight-faced um samurai story this is book one the ronin and it's uh yeah it's like turn of the century japan like well turn of the 17th century japan and uh yeah it's it's just about like the age of shogun and all of that stuff but through the eyes of a bunny rabbit like he's a bunny rabbit ronin and uh i thought you might dig that because it's the the art style is really unique because it's a little bit cartoony but it's also I don't know. It's it's very detailed. It's very big yeah. panels with a lot of no, little this, details. This definitely gives me manga vibes. So yeah, class, very classic manga vibes. So yeah, no, I I thought you might dig that. It's the original uh, the original nineteen eighty six uh, run of okay. Usagi Yojimbo. Okay. 
Um, dipping into movies, I got a couple of standalone movies for you because I'm the movie guy. You're the you're the guy who knows the anime. I like to think I've got Fair. a pretty good idea of movies. Now, one I'm pretty sure you probably haven't seen. I just saw this for the first time the other day because I'm combing through. I mentioned the Blank Check podcast. Um, that's a podcast where they they watch every movie a director has done in the order that he did it. To kind of see, like, the entire story of his career from beginning to end. Nice. And they're finally tackling... They finally just finished uh, Stanley Kubrick. And everybody's seen, like, The Shining or 2001 A Space Odyssey. Things like that. Barry Lyndon is this movie. This is one that I was not even that aware of. And it's an oddball movie for him. So it's it's a romantic, like, uh, 18th century epic. It's... I'll I'll tell you this, it's long. It's it long. I'm I'm warning you now. It's long, and if you can't if you can't hang in there for it, I won't blame you because it's like three hours long. I watched it in parts. I have to watch everything in parts now. I wonder, but it's Ryan O'Neill is the star of it, and it's this uh, epic saga of this guy who's kind of like a lovable loser. He's not that lovable actually, but. He's like this Irish rogue who uh, he he fights for his what he perceives to be his honor in a pistol duel and then flees the the duel and his life just becomes one random occurrence after another leading him to becoming a member of high society and it's uh, it's beautifully shot uh, some of the best gorgeous images I've seen in a movie in a long time. But yeah, it's it's a really uh, really interesting movie in terms of Kubrick's career. But standalone, it it reminded me a lot of the stuff that we liked reading in uh, our English classes that we shared together. So that's why I thought you might want to give it a try. But it is a I, you know it's a romance drama that kind of stuff. I do need to broaden my horizons, so uh, I, I'm <laughs> actually curious about this one. Um, yeah, but in case that's a little dry for you, I followed it up with a movie you might have seen already, which I, is Dread. I have seen this one. Very good. I'm glad Le- that you've Lena seen this Hitty one. Lena is badass in it. She is. And Carl Urban's amazing as Judge Dread. Um, I heard that they might actually finally be making a sequel to this. Okay. Or it might end up being a TV show or something. Now that Carl Urban's got a really good relationship with Amazon because of the boys. Carl Urban is like... Carl Urban is like that actor who, like, has done so much stuff. Yes. But, like, I think it's taken, like... uh, It's taken a a little while for people to, like, really, like... Just, just like notice, you know, just how prominent he is in like everything they watch because he just always like seems like he's the guy in the background who's just fun to happy to be there. Yeah, yeah, like he was in a uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok. Like okay. I, I forgot that he that was even him for a bit. Yeah, uh, I recently rewatched the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I, every time he's on screen, it's just like I love this guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, if, if you judge dread is a good one, it is. Um, it, that is I'm, I'm glad that you have seen it. Yeah. Another, uh, one in the spirit of broadening horizons. Not sure if you've seen Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest. That was actually on me, Kyle and John's radar to watch. Like we were yeah. planning on watching that one. I, so I recently rewatched I'm, it also for a podcast. To, I'm happy to hear that you are recommending this one because that 
that it's, actually was on my list for real. Like, we were yeah. actually planning on watching this, so... It's a movie from the late 50s, but it is still, to this day, just a barrel of fun. I think you guys will like it. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a real, like... Yeah. It, it's, it's just a fun time. It's a yeah. really sunny, fun movie. Yeah. Um, but another sci-fi one from kind of the same era as Dread, um, Moon, starring Sam Rockwell. Have you seen this one? I... Sam Rockwell's in that one? Sam Rockwell is all that's in this one. Because <laughs> okay. it is it is Sam Rockwell on the moon by himself. That is that is the movie. And it's uh it's a tremendous movie uh that a lot of people this was uh during there was a big uh strike in the visual effects uh industry. So this was a movie that some people made during that strike. The effects in it are amazing for a movie of its uh budget. Because it was kind of a small indie, uh, a, a tiny indie project at the time, but I wholeheartedly recommend it. It's very moody, it's very quiet, uh, but it's great acting from Sam Rockwell, and the moon effects are great. All right, so uh, getting out of movies, those were the movies that I had picked for you. I'm glad though that uh, that I'm really glad that you've seen Dread because I just want to tell everybody about that movie whenever I see it. I saw it on the shelf, and I'm just like, I'm picking that off. Um, this is one because on the pre- the previous episode of the show, I was talking about Oni Press and uh, a Greg Rucka book that I really enjoyed. Um, couldn't find Queen and Country here at the library, the book that I was talking about, but this is another Greg Rucka uh, graphic novel from Oni Press that, I mean, I can't believe I didn't talk about this a ton when I was talking about that. This is Stumptown. It is a detective, a very hard-boiled detective series, uh, very much like the movie I was talking about, uh, The Long Goodbye, but it takes place right here in our home neck of the woods, uh, the Portland area. It takes place mostly in downtown Portland. It's really got bona fides, though. Greg Rucka, you can tell, lived in Portland because he name-checks Tannisborn at one point, which I thought was hysterical. Though, If you're not in the Portland area, folks... Tannisborn is a shopping center district here out in the out in the uh, neck of the woods that Gus and I grew up in. So this is a beautiful uh, hardcover version of Stumptown, which is a graphic novel about a lady detective in Portland. Uh, it was actually made into a TV show uh, starring Kobe Smolders from uh, How I Met Your Mother. I think I remember that being advertised. That uh, I actually watched the show, and it was it was really good. I can definitely see why they didn't uh, go forward with a season two, because it probably didn't have great uh, ratings, and it was probably really expensive. They I don't think they shot it in Portland. They shot the pilot in Portland, but uh, it had her and uh, Jake Johnson in it. And uh, it was, I mean, I, I did Greg Rucka's work, and that's uh, another, another one that I have for you that's also Greg Rucka, is The Old Guard. Did you see the movie The Old Guard on Netflix? I did not. There's a lot on Netflix I need to catch up on. Oh, there's tons of stuff. But The Old Guard is a great uh, series of books. The first, the first book, I think, is what the movie is based on. Movie stars uh, Charlize Theron love her <laughs> oh yeah and she's great in this it's uh it was a big pandemic movie like it was when there were no movies happening this released on netflix and everybody watched it i that that is the one thing i was always cur- go, curious going into like the comic landscape you know post 
post-COVID, like, how are, like, comic writers and just storytellers going to approach, like, the subject of dealing with the pandemic? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, like I've said on the show a couple of times, the comic book industry took a huge hit. Like, they exactly. were they were delaying printing and distribution of hardcover like, books. So it's not like they could even tell those kind of stories even if they wanted to. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everybody had to embrace digital release. I mean, which was kind of happening already. I mean, I, I guess I can't I, I can't argue to, with to that because I did just I just downloaded the Viz app on my tablet when, when oh, yeah. COVID happened. So like basic like the Viz app's great um, if you want to try to get into manga because it's literally for two dollars a month you get access to all of Shonen Jump's library. Oh, that's a lot for only two two bucks a month. You said two bucks a month. That's Shonen a pretty good Jump's deal. Entire library. It's crazy. I might actually look into that then. And if you're listening and that sounds up your alley, look into it. Uh, anyway, uh, The Old Guard is uh, also Greg Rucka. This is a uh, story about a group of, well, warriors who are immortal. So it's the extrapolation of that is if they continued to live past the point where they were mythical heroes back in the time of, like, Greek gods and stuff, uh, you know, so... There was a day back in the olden times where they were wielding war hammers and tridents and stuff, but it's present day. So now they're, you know, wielding guns and they're wearing tactical armor and stuff like that, but they still have their traditional weapons. It's basically what happens if... Does the axe turn into a shotgun? <laughs> I don't think so. Not okay. So but, not that crazy. But, not that crazy, but it's it one. It's cool though. It's it's really an interesting, fun take on the idea of what if mythical warriors existed in modern times, uh, with the political aspects of that too. Greg Rucka does a great job of, you know, trying to put things in the real world uh, that are still kind of fantastical, and I I'm really interested in that series of books. I think you would like it too. Um, last thing I had for you, also a graphic novel, but it is based on, oddly enough, a podcast. Uh, are you familiar with the McElroy family? I, I feel like I am, yeah. I'm sure you've heard of them, but, uh, anyway, they're, they're three brothers who have been podcasting for, like, ever, for, like, the last ten years. And they started doing an actual play, Dungeons and Dragons show, with their dad, mm -hmm. that has been adapted into this series of, uh, graphic novels, uh, it's called The Adventure Zone. This is volume one, which is called Here There Be Gerblins. I've I've been seeing this around for so long, and it's like it always looked like something that would be up my alley. So uh, This is very lighthearted, very fun, jokey stuff. I, I love it. <laughs> uh, their dad is actually the one who adapted it for the page, so uh, he's kind of kept their humor intact. Uh, the, the characters are really fun because they they created them almost on the spot and improvised their way through backstories and stuff. Um, it's what got me into the idea of I should start playing tabletop games immediately. If I had the right group of people to be consistent and to get through a tabletop campaign, I would love it. I, I was going to ask you if you have played anything uh, because there is an Avatar The Last Airbender tabletop game coming. There is it like it it's weird because like the like tabletop games is like that one avenue of like things i know i would love to do but it's like i'm afraid to start because it's like how far down the rabbit hole do i go oh yeah and there's so and much because too. like lo, like let's set the record clear um i do 
like to your viewers, um, I am someone who is diagnosed with mild autism. And one of the symptoms of my autism is that I can be like very like obsessive over certain hobbies of interest. Sure. So if I'm into something, I'm really, really into it. Like it becomes my life <laughs> almost. It's so sometimes I'm a bit afraid of like, I'm a bit afraid of things I know I would love. It's weird. Oh, hey, that's, uh, I, I think that that's one of the things about you that I love, though, dude, is that you, when, when you get into something, I can see the passion and I can hear it when you talk about the things. Like, I mean, even just selling me on these shows, you've yeah. got me on these because I can yeah. tell they mean something to you and they'll mean something to me. So mm -hmm. I, I, get, I get what you're saying, though. As far as tabletop games, it's so immersive. There are so many avenues to go down, so many ways to get lost in just the minutia of it you can i mean you know the the books alone a dungeons and dragons like handbook starts at like 50 bucks or something like that if you end up collecting all of them that's i mean it's so much space it's so much money it's so much time spent on it and where and where do i find the time for all the people to even utilize everything that i buy well and that's been my problem is i decided yeah i want to get into this and i can't put together a i i did put together a group at one point a couple years ago my kids were really little so i was like stealing away and chris was a part of that group it was a couple other guys from high school and we got together and it was actually dennis who uh, was running the game he was game mastering for us and we only got together twice because it was so hard to get everybody together. Yeah. And even when we did get together, <laughs> those of you listening, there's a, we, we picked the study room that has the butcher paper for the library right outside it. <laughs> there are these cute little kids who are having a great time getting their butcher paper to make an art project. Oh, that's great. Which reminds me, my mom wants us to make like handmade gifts for christmas so I gotta, that's actually cool <laughs> i gotta brush up on my crafting skills uh hey if you need any, if you need any help with that rosalie would love to help you with it okay, i'll 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 ask <laughs> um but yeah no i uh table topping i there's just no time for it and uh there's no like core group that you know to do it either it's hard enough to get together with friends for like a drink or hey a podcast even because it's like, I have friends. Like, I've made a ton of friends just cosplaying oh, yeah. over the last several years. But it's like, you know, like, we always see each other at the con and we want to hang out more. And then it's like, well, we all have jobs and, like, we're all struggling with our own things. And it's, yeah, light, light, like, like, being a man-child is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it is. It it can be difficult just uh, just getting everything in it, your ducks in a row. And I, I I tend to think that maybe you you would shy away from the idea of like a Zoom call uh, tabletop game. Like you would do better face to face. Am I wrong on that? I I mean I probably would do better face to face. I'm not against attempting a Zoom call. I yeah. That, is, that, is, that would be another... I mean, that's me, too. I think I would do better face-to-face -face than on a Zoom call. Uh, but I was thinking about trying to do something like that. Right now, as of actually today, tonight, uh, right after we do this podcast, I'm probably going home to run a Star Wars RPG for my kids. And that's going to be really difficult because... A game like Dungeons & Dragons or this RPG that I'm running with the kids, it's the old-style uh, West End Games uh, D6 version of Star Wars. 
Okay. And it's like you're supposed to have a party of five to seven people, and I have two children under the age of eight who are both going to be playing as kid characters. So I had to create uh, a uh, dungeon master, a, a rather game master player character. So I'm going to be running a character alongside them while running the game. Okay. Which I've already done a couple months back for my birthday. Uh, Chris and uh, our buddy Dan, we played that Star Wars game and I ran the game for them. And I had to create a third character to roll with them. That was a case of me being like, my character doesn't speak. She's taken a vow of silence. So she's not going to help you guys with anything plot-wise. She's just going to be there to help you with, with uh, combat support, and that's it. You tell her where to go, she'll go. And we didn't get out of the first room. We played for three hours, and those guys didn't make it out of the first room. Because that's another thing is finding the right people to play with. Right. Uh, is, you know, you find people... I love Chris and I love Dan, but the whole time they were just like, I try to talk to the stormtrooper and reason with him and tell him that I'm not his enemy. And I'm like, as the game master, I want to be like, I want to foster and encourage your unique creativity, but this is a stormtrooper and this is Star Wars, so no, he shoots you. <laughs> because he's a stormtrooper. That's all they do. They don't reason. And... Right. I don't know, I felt like a bad GM there for a minute, but uh, hopefully I'll do better tonight with the kids. Uh, but yeah, if, if you are curious about Tabletop, though, this is, this is a good kind of gateway drug into it, the Adventure Zone, because it's mostly yeah. played for comedy, and it's mostly the way they played Dungeons & Dragons that spawned this story is very collaborative storytelling and theater of the mind. They yeah. weren't super adherent to the game's mechanics and rules. Yeah. So. Fair enough. So, yeah. Um, you had a stack, though. You had a, okay, the, yes. the other stack. So, I'm going to take one quick debrief, because there's something that I actually got for myself that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Um, in honor cool. um, in honor of Jason David Frank, um, God rest his soul. Yeah, absolutely. Um, rest I, in peace. I saw, this, um, I saw this comic at Things for Another World the other day um, that I haven't read yet, but it's Godzilla versus Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Nice. Um, I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. I mean, the concept alone pretty much sells itself. Yeah. And I can probably guess at some point, like, Rita's going to show up and, like, summon one of Godzilla's enemies, and then Godzilla and the Megazord are probably going to team up to fight <laughs> Rita and, like, Gamera or something. That'd be great. Like, that sounds awesome. Yeah. It God, looks great, too. The cover of that is a yeah. beautiful image. Yeah. No, the boom... Uh, okay, so this is IDW. So oh, it's I, IDW. Um, IDW has worked with, with the Power Rangers in the past because they've done, like, Power Ranger Ninja Turtle crossovers, which are a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I've heard good um, things about that one. Yeah. The... Cross, like, we're just in the meta era and meta generation where, like, crossovers <laughs> and, like, you know, like, franchise... Franchise, like... Con you know combinations are just kind of everywhere because like like both both ninja turtles and power rangers have really good like current like generation comic lines like idw's ninja turtle lines and the boom comics power ranger lines both great oh yeah um i actually almost grabbed for you because i did find it on the shelf the uh idw teenage mutant ninja turtles 
Meet the Ghostbusters IDW. Ugh, that's the one that I have not wa- I have not read yet. It's I've read like I've read the Batman crossovers. I've read the Justice League crossovers with the Power Rangers, but I have yeah I have not gone to the Ghostbusters one. But I'll yeah. put that on my list. I will I will recommend to everybody the IDW Ghostbusters. Uh, the first couple volumes of that I I think I. Boy, I, they, I might own them, and they might be stuck in a box somewhere, but those are pretty good. All right, so now for my main course for Kyle. So one sec. Okay. I wasn't paying attention, and the computer locked on me. There we go. Okay, so this is, this is my main course for Kyle. All right, this so, is some stuff. Yes, so the first comic that I picked out is Marvel's The Champions, which first began in 2016. And the champion, so if if the Young Avengers is Young Justice, the champions are like the Team Titans. Okay, that's how I think about it. So, so your teammate, so so the team is um, you got Ms. Marvel, Miles Morales, Amadeus Cho as uh, as the newer Hulk, Nova, um, a time traveling younger version of Cyclops, and <laughs> Viv, who is Vision's daughter. So right. these are all young members of. Um, they're just a young group of um, Marvel superheroes who are coming together, you know, fight for their own reasons. And um, it kind of opens up with Ms. Marvel just having, like, you know, just having frustrations with how, like, how cold, like, the Avengers are and, like, just some of their tactics and, like, forgetting what it is they fight for. And so that's why she kind of huh. sets off to make her own team and kind of do things by herself. And, like, there's like a point... That. There's a point after they 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 solve they solve their first crime and catch their first bad guy. She has this incredible speech where she's like, she's like, look, I'm not going to give you a speech about what heroes do or are supposed to do or judges or juries or anything old school like that. I want, I need to watch this sick lowlife be punished as much as you do, but not by the Hulk. We see all around us more and more every day people with power punching down, taking lives when they don't have to, meeting unarmed perps, even unarmed kids with lethal firepower. That's the world we're inheriting, where violence does all the talking. But we can be better than that. We have to start enforcing justice without unjust force. This sounds great. Like, I'm, I'm super Ms. into Marvel, that idea. Ms. Marvel is the greatest... Mar- greatest new comic book character in my opinion i'm just gonna get on my soapbox right now about ms marvel because i love ms marvel yeah um and like i do wish i do wish the actress who's playing her the best of luck like it was such a great series i Um, liked it a lot but there is one interesting so she goes on she talks about what it is the champions are you know setting out to do Mm -hmm. and then like it's followed up in the next page you like you see like all of them looking at their phones of like the tweets that people are saying about the champions and Mm -hmm. like you know hang hanging with miss marvel where do i sign speaking the truth champions rule champions forever i'm with the champions finally woke hashtag champions now this now what's interesting okay keep in mind this was written in 2016 yeah back, so, back before that word so, got loaded. so here's here's the thing so anyone reading this comment comic nowadays would see someone say finally woke would think that they were saying something derogatory about the champions right they would take woke as an insult and so and, and it just felt like i i need to get on my soapbox about that the phrase woke right now because like 
um, because it's something that I deal with a lot, especially because I'm also a Survivor fan, and Survivor has had this diversity initiative where they're actually making an honest effort to, like, have more diverse casting and get, you know, different people of different colors and, you know religious backgrounds and ever everything like they're making an honest effort so it's not just white guys winning every right <laughs> all the time and yeah. so um so i hear a lot of people online talking about like you know certain things being too woke now and right. like i don't think that word means what people think it means absolutely you're right and, um because yeah like the term woke you know from what how i knew it in throughout the mid like 2010s like it was basically a phrase that was used very rarely whenever someone would say something very poignant that needed to be said right it wasn't being said it was about speaking the. it was about like speaking the truth and saying the you know things that are important Mm -hmm. um about where society is or you know how how we fix something and i think what happened was after a couple years the people who were being called out by the things that were being said took the word and basically like bastardized it to try to make it seem like a derogatory thing yeah yeah and it's like (sighs) and it's frustrating especially for people like us who like you know, what we studied in university was the English language, and we can see, when you can see in real time over the course of, like, five or six years, the meaning of a word shift like that into an ugly direction, Yeah, it gets my dander up. I know it probably does you, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so the champions, my favorite, like, superhero team, um... They, there's even a chapter somewhere in the champion storyline where all of these kids get together and they are watching Avatar. Like you don't oh. actually see, you don't see Avatar on the screen. It's just them sitting in a room watching TV, but you know it's Avatar because the dialogue coming out of the TV is secret tunnel. Oh man! Secret tu- it's like <laughs> oh, I'm so, in. I'm so in. Okay. Oh, yeah. that's and a good I, one. I did pull out um, one of the later stories of the champions, which is called Outlawed. There uh-huh. is a point in the series where there is a huge accident, and um, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, she gets caught in the crosshairs of a dragon that you know destroys this exhibit that a bunch of these kids were at, and she was trying to save them. And then everyone sees Kamala Khan get injured. And so there's this huge pushback to stop teenage vigilanteism. That's interesting. And Kamala Khan becomes the spokesperson for these people trying to outlaw Ms. Marvel and the <laughs> and the champion. So it's wow. she becomes a spokesperson of this like campaign that she does not believe in for a second. And she, it's like That's cool though. That's a, yeah. I mean, because people have always talked about that, like even going back to like the invention of the sidekick with Robin, the whole yeah. idea of, well, why would a, a hero knowingly put a child in danger? And it was always, you know, the whole idea was make them teenagers so that they're more relatable. That's why Spider-Man was such a great character. Yeah. Stan Lee would always talk about, well, he was a teenager because teenagers have real problems. And, you know, he's under, everybody thinks he's a man, but underneath he's a scared kid. And it's more relatable, sure, but it's also a logistic, like, actual question. Would the Avengers put teenagers in danger like that? And they, the movies only barely sidestep it with, with Spider-Man when, right. you know, luckily it's Iron Man is the one putting him in the position of being a superhero, and that's a guy who would put a teenager in, in jeopardy, possibly. Right. But no, that's a really interesting perspective. That's... Yeah. Yeah, those those sound good, man. All right. Champions. Nice.
Next one, um, decent read that you that you might be able to read with your kids. Um, it is the graphic novel um, version of Animorphs, Part 1, The Invasion. I have been hearing about so, these. So, um, anyone who knows me, like, Animorphs was kind of like my gateway to, like, to fiction. And, like, it, in retrospect, Animorphs was like the OG dis- young adult dystopian novel. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's weird that it predates, like, all of the things that, you know, became super popular. And, like, um, its authors were incredible. This this series, like, anyone who grew up in the 90s and saw went to the bookshelf and saw, like, all of those goofy chapter books of the kids morphing into animals, like... Those become a meme these days. It's they just the become really a weird in-betweener Because, images. like, but, and people who actually read through those series, like... I the, the, they give you so much more than any of us ever bargained for. Oh, absolutely! As... That that was my book series when I was a Most kid. Like that's what got me into reading hardcore. Yeah. Um. The one thing I did want to mention that I find kind of clever in how they approach um this this graphic novel. Um. The art style um is interesting, but like what I love is so. Um. So the main conceit of the animorphs is that the kids are um. You, like the five kids who are given the morphing powers to fight the Yerks, they're telling the story to whoever's watching. They're basically right. chronicling their adventures, and they always begin by saying they can't tell you their last name or where they live or anything because they don't know who's a Yerk and who could be listening. Right. And so what I love what they do in, in the opening stages of, the, of this comic, our lives used to be pretty normal. Um, the opening scene is just... There, there's a building and it just says mall it doesn't say what mall it is it just says mall oh and if, and if you if you think about the conceit and how you're not supposed to give away where they are it makes sense why they wouldn't say like you know like washington square mall it's just a mall yes somewhere in the u.s yeah any town <laughs> usa yeah that's cool. I'm just looking at the first couple pages. We've got it open. The color yeah. palette is amazing. They they have some really clever colors. Um, the way they depict, like the way they show the emotions that like the characters have, is a lot of fun. And they they have they do they do a lot with like, you know, just uh, Jake and Marco's relationship early on. The one thing I do kind of wish they did was I wish that whenever they introduced a character at the beginning, they would explain. They just got give like a basic like Scott Pilgrim inserts of yeah. who the characters are. Like Jake, normal kid. Marco, Jake's best friend. That would fit with the original books. Rachel, too. Jake's cousin. Because never throughout this entire book do they ever mention that Rachel is Jake's cousin. Oh, yeah. Because so, I remember in the original books, every book was kind of written like it might be your yeah. first one. Yeah. So they would always give a couple of pages to be like, yeah. this is who this person is. This is who he kind of yeah. likes her, but they haven't talked about it yet. Yeah. And at this point, you know, five. Five books later, it's like, well, they kissed, but yeah. we're not going to get into that right now. Cassie, Rachel's best friend, kind of, sort of, maybe likes Jack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, that's the one thing I wish I could have done. But like, it, it's also, it's also interesting because, like, yeah, like just like seeing images of these and you know just how they tell their story and then showing the ships and this will be really interesting to look at because I have you know twenty years worth of images in my head of what all of like the ships and the aliens look yeah. like 
And yeah. here they're actually rendered, which... Like, and it, like, so far they've made the, uh, graphic novels of the first three books. So they've gotten to the encounter with um, the message set to come out soon. Oh, which, yeah. Which I'm excited for the message in The Predator, because that's where, you know, you meet Axe and, like, shit hits the fan in part five. So I, oh, hope, yeah. I hope this continues. And it will also be interesting to see how the art style evolves as things get more intense. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, I flipped to the right page. <laughs> This is uh, this is some hardcore stuff. This is cool. Cause like yeah, it's got like this very kid friendly art style that the that the um, artist is known for, and like most people would go into the animorphs thinking that it's this silly adventure story of these kids who can morph into animals doing shenanigans, and yeah, it, it can catch you off guard. No, yeah, that's the one thing about animorphs, the original books that was so great was that it it encouraged a kid reader to really stretch those muscles in their imagination. I was a terrible reader before Animorphs. Like, I just, my reading level was just in the pits in elementary school. Yeah. And that was the book series that I tried to pick up because I had to read something. And, like... They were hard to come by in the school library, though. Everybody wanted them. Yeah. So, But I I was able to catch on, and it did help my reading scores um, improve throughout my fourth and fifth grades. And so I actually attribute Animorphs into why I ultimately became an English major. Wow, yeah, no, definitely. This this is going to be a good one with the kids, absolutely. Okay. That's Thank right. you for that. I all right. forgot all about these. All right, so then we have Dark Horse Comics Avatar Imbalance. So I'm just going to go out and say this. Most Avatar comics suck. <laughs> like, they literally broke up Zuko and Mei in The Promise, and that was stupid. I don't oh, care. that's right. I, I get that. that Zuko and Mei is not a popular ship, but that was dumb. I was really excited to see Mei, like, get fleshed out and open, come out of her shell and be a member of Team Avatar, and they're like, well, she's not popular, so let's just break them up uh... for some cheap tension. So, most Avatar comics suck, but um, Imbalance is basically the story where the main team, the main squad of Team Avatar, Aang, Sokka, Katara, and Toph, um, are being very active in trying to help with, you know, the development of this town called Yudao, which we will eventually know to be as Republic, Republic City. Republic City, okay, yeah. So this is like the origins of Republic City, That's so cool. to speak. And so there is, in the way, like this one's actually written by Mike and Mike DiMartino and Brian Konitzko. So okay. it's written by the actual creators. Like all due respect to Gene Luen Yang who wrote a lot of the other comics, not all of his stories were terrible. Some of them were passable. Like The Rift was actually pretty good. But I don't think he understands the franchise as well as he thinks he does. Well, so certainly not as well as the, the creator. actual creators. And so there is actually midway in part two, like just, uh, it's just a moment of Aang and Katara on Appa, like talking, talking with each other. And it feels very genuine. Like this is like, this is the kind of a conversation that, you know, a young couple who's been in a relationship for a couple of years, but have like this huge responsibility on their shoulders would have. Yeah. And so, so there's still like about teenage in this. I, I would say this one probably takes place like a couple years. I'm going to it. In my mind, it feels natural to say it takes place maybe, like, three-ish years after the events of the war. Okay. Um, maybe a little later. I, like, it's it's up for interpretation. But okay. that, that's how it feels like to me, the way they are written. 
Awesome. That's actually yeah. this. We're going through the show again with the kids yeah. uh, to ramp them up for, you know, I mean, we've got movies coming way down the line. It's going to be a couple of years before we see a movie yeah. of The Last Airbender in, in theaters. But I, I'm like, hey, it's here. Let's start it again. So okay. this would be a good one, too. Okay. Awesome. So, Kyle, do you know what the big three is? Um, the big three... In uh, in anime. Uh, I have not actually heard manga. that, no. So the big three was the phrase that was made for the, um, for the, the, for the three manga series that had consistently the highest sales and in, in the highest popularity that helped Shonen Jump build its steam when okay. they were building their, their brand. The father of the big three, like the, the one who predates the gods, that's Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, that's Akira sure. Toriyama and Dragon Ball Z. The three series that I have for you right here, um, one from each, um, are Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece. Those are okay, the, those yeah. are what are considered the big three in Shonen Jump. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of all three. These are the three that I could like name off off the top of my head if someone was asking me about anime. Right. So, so I was, you know, while we were in the library, I picked out one from each of them. So I got Bleach Volume One. Um, and Bleach is a story of Ichigo Kurosaki. He's just, um, he's just your average, you know, Japanese high schooler who's, you know, has like an overbearing father, like two younger sisters, and he's got kind of like this roguish nature to him, but he has this unique ability to see like ghosts and spirits and people who have passed away. Okay. So he's, he's kind of like this roguish guy who does have a soft spot and, you know, he looks out for people and, um... And basically, he ends up meeting um, a soul reaper named Rukia, who ends up having to grant her powers to him to help save his family from um, these um, these creatures, these Shinigamis, essentially. And so he ends up becoming a deputy soul reaper, and that's where his stories begins of hunting ghosts. I will say this, Taikubo is best known for how sharp his art style is. Like, this guy just makes everything look cool. Yeah. he The way he draws his characters and his action scenes. And um, so so that is Bleach. That is part, that is one of the I've, big three. I've definitely heard a, a lot more about Bleach than some other anime and, and manga. And this, this sounds up my alley. This sounds like a story that I kind of want to sink my teeth into. So okay. de- definitely. All right. So for the next two, we got Naruto and One Piece. Um, I actually picked midway stories, but I feel like these are these are portions of the story that give you a good idea of what their stories are about okay. and where their characters are going. So we got Naruto Volume Twelve. So Naruto, he is um he he's a young kid who's um training to be a ninja. He was someone who was given the spirit of the nine-tailed fox. It was basically trapped inside of him by the fourth hokage and so he's kind of been an outcast his entire life because everyone's like he has the he has the spirit of a demon inside of him so yeah. so that but he's like someone who's trying to prove everyone wrong and say no i can become hokage and um and everyone will acknowledge me and so so naruto is you know you're kind of your classic you know underdog um misfit in town who's trying to prove everyone wrong and show that you know he can be more than what he was destined to be and the crux of that story happens in volume 12 where he is in the tuning exams which is basically the examination they take to go from genning to tuning which is like the intermediate ninja level okay and he is fighting someone he 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 ends up in a fight with um um why am I blinking on his name? 
It's actually one of the fun things about manga volumes is they will actually tell you the names of the characters that are prominent in the story. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, Neji. a dramatis persona. Ned, Neji is the person that you, um, he is fighting, and he is part of the cadet branch of the Hyuga clan, um, opposed in the main branch, who of which Hinata, who is another member of the Hyuga clan that Naruto knows from his class, belongs. Neji is the person Naruto has to basically come to grips with, and this is a guy who's part of, like, a cadet branch of the main branch of, like, this very prominent family, mm -hmm. and, like, he's he's someone who's super disciplined and very hardened, and he's someone who's so stuck in his ways that he genuinely believes that you can't fight your destiny. You yeah. can't you can't break the the ceiling in front of you, and so that is the person that Naruto is fighting in this storyline. Cool. And then there's another storyline with another guy in class named Shikamaru, one of Naruto's classmates. He specializes in shadow possession, jitsu, and is a skilled ninja despite his lazy demeanor. And so learning more about Shikamaru, who's my personal favorite character in this, is also fun. So this is just a, a set that's in the middle of the tuning exams, so classic tournament But, but like a, a good like uh, uh, quintessential Naruto. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Naruto. Naruto. Gotcha. First syllable. Yeah. I'm getting better. <laughs> My. This looks like pretty good art, too. I, I dig this. Yeah. All right. What else we got? Okay. And then we got One Piece, which you've probably heard enough of from Chris. <laughs> I have heard a lot about One Piece from Chris, which okay. is very entertaining for me. So we have um, the we have One Piece Volume 25 um, titled The 100 Million Berry Man. <laughs> Sorry, berries is a currency in One Piece. So okay, this is this is the the beginning of Skypea, which is an arc. Um, let, let's just read what it says. Talk about impossible. Luffy and the Straw Hats have to find a way to sail into an island in the sky, and the only one who can show them the way is known to be a greater liar than Usopp. It won't be easy, but can they trust their lives to someone nobody believes in? Huh. Okay. And so what this is this is a really interesting portion of the series because it gives you a really um it gives you a really good like image of just how determined of what Luffy believes in and how determined he is okay. um, to stand up for w what he what he believes in. And um there there's like this one fight because he in similar fashion to Naruto, where Naruto is facing Neji, who has this very, you know, clear-cut idea of what he believes, um, you know, to be truth and how to live your life. Luffy runs into a guy in this story named Hyena Bellamy, who is another pirate who basically thinks that, you know, having these, you know, impossible dreams is completely overrated. Like, pirates who spend their entire life trying to search for these lost treasures lose sight of the treasure that could be right in front of them. And so that is the idealism that Luffy comes confronted with in this particular so the actual, so the actual like fighting between the two of them is really like uh, an extrapolation of their fighting uh, uh, Ideal ideals yeah. as a pirate. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So so that is One Piece twenty volume twenty five for you. <laughs> Diving into One Piece finally. This is uh you just a just a just a a, a little a little dip. In. Yeah, because this is volume twenty five. How many volumes of the manga are there? One. 
hundred and, and so, counting. Oh boy, yeah. Because I know that there's a ton of episodes of the show, and it's mo- mostly to. If if the show is too much for you, I would definitely recommend reading. Like Re- reading, it might be smarter for me because uh, anim- anime shows. I get overwhelmed, especially with, like, One Piece, the idea of, like, yeah. this is a show that has, like, a thousand episodes. I'm never going to get through all of that. But, I don't know, like, a hundred volumes, that also sounds like a lot, but I don't know. I bet I could rip through these a lot faster than I could the show. And and that way, you and I, before we were on mic, we were talking about uh, my son wants to get into Dragon Ball Z, and you uh, recommended Dragon Ball Z Kai yeah. because it's kind of a stripped-down Ho- version. Hopefully without all somewhere the... in the future, One Piece Kai will be a thing they make <laughs> in the f- future. That would be lovely. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because of the dynamic of how anime and manga work with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's always been kind of a roadblock for me in anime is watching and knowing, okay, there's a lot of padding here because they're waiting for the manga to come out so that they can right. adapt it. So, yeah, no, this this might be my way into One Piece, which will make me happy, and it'll make Chris a very happy man. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to credit you with getting me into it. All right. Awesome. All right. So um, we're, we're getting towards we're com- the home stretch. Okay, so then I have um, Avatar The Last Airbender. The, this is an actual book. Um, Avatar The Last Airbender, The Rise of Kiyoshi. Now, that's interesting. Okay, so... Um, I, I, je- I went on record saying that I thought that most of the Avatar comics sucked. But I will say this. F.C. Yee, the writer of the Avatar, like, actual novels, mm-hmm. um, does an amazing job of, like, a, like the, I'm just going to say this. This is, like, my favorite piece of extended universe material of the entire Avatar franchise. Like, Ooh, that's... that is how much I love how well these books are written. That's a very and, big endorsement. And uh... how well they tell... Kiyoshi's story in it. I mean, look, folks listening, you don't know Gus the way I've known Gus for a long, long time. We've known each other for like almost 20 years now. And actually, it might be 20 years now, huh? Because we met when we were freshmen, right? Like, I feel like we met like in the tail end of eighth grade in Brown. Yeah, we might have. So yeah, it's been like 20 years. Gus is, like I said, like I mentioned at the top, he's who got me into Avatar The Last Airbender. He knows the property front to back. Him saying that this is his favorite piece of extended universe material, that means something to me, people. Uh, This is... I gotta read this book now. I gotta. Yeah. I mean, we we all know Avatar Kiyoshi is, like, this badass who, like, created her own island by separating it from Chin the Conqueror and the person who you know stood up to the earth king and you know was super tall and just super you know intimidating this is the origins of that badass in the avatar universe and how she became who she you know and that's cool because over the course of like the two shows we've learned of course everything about ang we know uh everything about Korra we know because we're watching their stories but we learned a lot about uh, avatar roku through ang and Kiyoshi's kind of the one that to me is has always been more interesting and has always been a lot more shrouded in mystique. Like, what's her story about? And this is yeah. her story. Yeah. I'm really glad that they wrote a book about her because yeah. she's 
just her her iconography, the fans, the the makeup, everything about it is very yeah. different from the avatars that come it, after her. It does have kind of like a Han Solo vibe of like telling you where all the things you know about Kyoshi come from. Yeah, that's going to happen. That's yeah. going to happen. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that, though, so that I, I know that that's going to be in there. Okay. And then we cap this off with... Um, Last Gar- item. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy and X-Men, the Black Vortex. Basically, the Black Vortex is a MacGuffin that the Guardians of the Galaxy and the X-Men have to keep away from from Peter Quill's father, um, who is not, not a ego. giant planet. Ego. In the in the comics, he's the Prince of Spartax. Right, yeah. Think, he's he's um, like a spoiled royal, basically. He's a, yeah, if, if they were to do him properly, imagine, like, Nick Offerman. Oh, that'd be good casting like that, right there. That That's like... Yeah, that's the comic version of Peter Quill's father. But basically, they have to keep this black vortex, which sh- shows and creates like an image of people, people's greatest desires, like they're the greatest ver- image of themselves. And it's um, yeah, just this very powerful item that may corrupt a couple people in this adventure. And um, the Guardians and the X Men make up an interesting team. Yeah, yeah, because that's two very different dynamics, but two very different version like variations on the same thing the idea of like a found family yeah oh wow some beautiful spreads in this yeah. too yeah no, I, I mean every time you go into marvel into like the cosmic aspect like you go out into space you always get beautiful colors beautiful palettes i, I overuse those terms so much yeah. but oh wow there's even some like very distinct different art styles in here this looks couple, great. There might be a couple different artists throughout chapters. Yeah, there there would have to be because the the character designs on these are very different from one to the next. But that's cool though. That's because it lends it a different mood. Uh, awesome. This looks like a great story. So yeah, like I I that I know that was a lot um, for you, Kyle. Um, <laughs> I mean, but hopefully it's a big among stack. those are some things some things that catch your fancy I, i'm structurally i put everything i i started stacking everything opposite to the way it was stacked and now i've got all the heavy stuff on top of the dvds that was a poor choice on my part let me move uh, that okay but yeah man boy that's a lot of good stuff i'm looking at this stack now it's yeah. like it i'm like looking at it too and it's like a lot of those uh like obviously kiyoshi take your time with but a lot of those other things can can be pretty quick reads though yeah absolutely and boy the thing the thing about this it's like a dagwood sandwich like uh the cart the cartoon character who had the big stack of a sandwich <laughs> you it was said like... sandwich and i almost took it literally <laughs> <laughs> well like... no i like that was all, my whole idea in doing this thing was we could stack up the things that we wanted to recommend to each other like a big sandwich and I'm looking at it now, and I'm like, good God, this is even a bigger sandwich than I could eat, and I can eat. But this is a lot of great stuff to chew on, man. Thank you so much for recommending these. And, these are great. And thank you for your recommendations as well. Like I said, I'm, I'm glad you brought um, some of these to, to, to my attention. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, this, this is kind of a thing you and I have always uh, done whenever we catch up, is the idea of, 
what you playing, yeah. what you what you watching, what you reading. Yeah. yeah, but it's also cool to like you know get like an image in your head finally when it, when we're not because we can talk about this stuff, but you know it's kind but of but to actually like hand it to you and say take a look at it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I mean, this was something uh, Gus Gus did this uh, some years back before the Marvel Cinematic Universe was selling everybody on. Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel as characters. I remember Gus handed me the uh, first volume of the new Captain America, uh, not Captain America, Captain Marvel. Um, it was the, oh, which which uh, writer was it? Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick? Yes, it was. It was the Kelly Sue DeConnick run. So, so like, anyone remember from Captain Marvel, like, when she steps out of the train and there's like a woman with like big glasses and really bright red hair who just kind of looks at her as she gets out the train, that's that's her. That's yeah. Kelly. <laughs> Portland resident too, Kelly yes. Sue DeConnick. And yeah, I mean like that was, I, I, I have this distinct memory of us talking about that book and we were also talking about Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, which is kind of the show Hawkeye was sprouted from that. So... This has always been a valuable thing for you and me, I think, is the back and forth of try this. And it's yielded some of the best, best things that I've ever watched and read over the course of the last like 15, 20 years. So that's that's what this was about, man. This is yep. this is what happens when you go to the library with us and get yourself an actual literal media sandwich that I'm staring at right now. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for indulging us in this wacky idea. What's the media version of 24-hour fitness? <laughs> 24-hour unfitness if I'm sitting this entire time. Uh, I might have to watch some of these DVDs while on the exercise bike. I, I uh, Damn, like, I guess I, I get spoiled because I don't drive, so I usually do all my reading on the go on the bus. So. I used to. I used to when I when I bust it to the to the office every day. That's when I got all my write my writing and my reading done. And now my my office is five feet away from where I wake up, so I don't get as much done that I want to. And I'm trying to get back into reading. This is a great way. I think this is this will be a great gateway. You know, I'll start with some of the thinner stuff and I'll. Animorphs, definitely, I'm doing with the kids. And then Rise of Kyoshi, that might be a really good one for me to read after everybody else is asleep or maybe in the mornings before work. It's, uh, yeah, this is a lot of good stuff. I'm excited to dive into some of the manga, too, because that's an avenue I've really never walked down. Yeah. And, and like, I've, both the Old Guard and Stumptown sound really amazing. Adventure Zone's, like, the one that I know I'll have a fun time with. I think um, you will, too. But, so. yeah, um, definitely wanted to push Greg Rucka because uh, before we got on mic, uh, Gus asked me about Queen and Country, the one I was talking about on the last episode, and we couldn't find it, sadly, but I have the first, I want to say, four volumes of that in a box somewhere. So if you do end up digging Stumptown and the Old Guard, I can find those dig them out and loan them to you wonderful uh yeah i think uh i think we're about out of time everybody this was yeah. supposed to be like a little i called it a side order this is more like uh when you go to a restaurant and like oh i'll have a burger and what's the giganto fries it's oh. like oh that's a that's a bucket <laughs> like like the bucket that you put beer in this but is... it's full of uh yeah. french fries that's what this has been yeah um, but that's going to do it for us on this side order of Media Sandwich. Thank you for tuning in and hanging out as always. And hey, if you have recommendations for me and for Gus, 
or if you have news tips or anything you'd like to provide the show, you can do so. You can email me at mediasandwichshow at gmail.com or you can throw it at me over at Twitter at media underscore sandwich um, <laughs> while Twitter lasts. I've been saying that for about a month now, though, so I think it's probably going to last. Um, and hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate the show, write us a little review, let us know how you liked this media sandwich, and don't forget to find some lovingly written blog posts over at www.media-sandwich.com. Haven't posted anything over there in quite a while, just because it's been mostly about the podcast, but things are coming your way if you like to read your way through a media sandwich. But until we talk again, uh, I am Kyle Martinak. And I am Roger Towney Jr. And uh, we're going to have a sandwich. We're going to go have a sandwich. Absolutely.